Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, the first in the post-Anna apocalypse since she's gone on maternity leave, but don't worry, she'll be back before you know it, and in her stead this week, we have the amazing Sarah Pascoe. Now, you don't need me to tell you who Sarah Pascoe is, but you might need me to tell you where she is about to go on tour. She has a brand new show, she'll be in the UK, Ireland, and Australia. And if you're in Cambridge, Dartford or Leeds and you're listening to this when it goes out, you might be able to get tickets to see her right now this weekend. If you're in Northampton, Brighton, Oxford, Newcastle, Hull, Manchester or Birmingham, you'll be able to see her in the next few weeks. Then in Dublin, Cork, Belfast, Aberystwyth, Cheltenham, Cardiff, Bournemouth, Colchester, Milton Keynes, Liverpool, Harrogate, Basingstoke. That'll be over the next month or so. And then in April and May, she'll be appearing in Sydney, Canberra, Brisbane, Melbourne, Adelaide and Perth. Like I say, you have to go and see Sarah's show. It's called Success Story. It's absolutely brilliant. Tickets are available now at Sarah on Tour. That's S-A-R-A on Tour.com. And you can also go to her website, which is sarahpasco.co.uk for more details about Sarah. Anyway, once you've got those tickets, then please do enjoy this week's show. I'm absolutely certain you will. And what else is there to say apart from on with the podcast? Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with James Harkin, Andrew Hunter-Murray and Sarah Pascoe. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, that is Sarah. Okay, my fact is that the man who invented Pringles was buried in a Pringles can. <laughs> he was tiny. He was very small. You've seen him, the guy with the moustache and the rough face. He doesn't have a body, so I just snapped him right in there. God, did people have to went. carry him down there? Yeah, the they employed can. four, but they only needed one. <laughs> so they passed him like in a relay race. <laughs> it was the baton, yes. Yeah. Um, so I should add, he wanted to be buried in a Pringles yeah. can, because mm. I think he was very proud. And actually, it's quite an interesting story, I Thing. So the backstory is for this. In 1968, Pringles went on sale, advertised as Pringles Newfangled Potato Chips. That was their full name. They're not called that anymore because of one of the five Pringles dramas <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be telling you about, which doesn't even include being buried in a Pringles can. <laughs> um, so backstory. 1939, I don't know if you know, there was quite a big war and crisps were deemed non-essential and they stopped making them. Okay. Yeah. They brought them back after the war and they were rubbish. They were really greasy. Apparently there was loads of air in the bags and all the crisps were broken. Oh, this war sounds horrible. I know. <laughs> and that was the worst thing that happened to anyone. <laughs> so people really moaned about the crisps. I'm sure they had other things to also moan about, but you know, they were like, we're miserable. Let us have cheap, tasty snacks. And so Procter and Gamble, um, they started trying to invent something better. In 1956, they employed a chemist and mathematician, Frederick T. Bauer, to invent a new kind of potato chip that was more palatable. He spent two years inventing a saddle-shaped, the mathematical term is hyperbolic paraboloid, a saddle-shaped chip that would go in a tubular can, which meant that there would be no air in it and they wouldn't get broken, mm. but they tasted rubbish. Mm. So he got moved <laughs> so on he got to... Moved. Got moved. Why the saddle shape? Because you could just do a round in the same tube. You, yes. could, you could absolutely well, fit that in. 
I wonder what it gave you. No, they're not stronger. Are they maybe stronger? They're they stronger than a flat, for sure. Okay, and if they have to be that thin... Then... There's quite a lot of buildings made in that shape, for instance. The, um, the what? what's it not called? Quite the quite Velodro- There's a velodrome in London, Fairly, for instance. That's one. Name ten, <laughs> name ten Pringle buildings. I don't think I could name ten buildings under this kind of pressure. Yeah. But, no, you're right, you're right. You're but yeah, right. quite often in buildings you'll have odd shapes and it will be to do with strength yeah. and support and mm. something. Maybe it was just aesthetically pleasing yeah. for a mathematician to sort of go, this shape will fit together. I can so give you a reason why they're stronger, because I just thought of one. I only want nine more. <laughs> it's because they have two arches. So you know an arch is a strong shape. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, okay. one, a Pringle has two arches. One goes in one direction, and the yeah. other one goes in the opposite direction. And so you've got two arches, which are both strong, and they're both fighting against each other, so it makes it super strong. That's um, really cool. Can I ask cool. you a question? Because you yeah. seem to know a lot about this. Is that the same with feet? It is exactly the same with so feet. So that's why yeah. feet. Oh. So yeah. there's your second Pringle shape. <laughs> Our human feet. That's why feet are so delicious. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I, yeah. they made one that was disgusting. Yeah, so right. he made one that was disgusting, but it fitted together really neatly. So he was moved to a different snack. I couldn't find out which snack he was moved to. Right. But he was moved mm. somewhere else. But then a couple of years later, they came back to his idea. Bauer was granted the patent in 1971. And um, they came up with a new recipe, which was <laughs> paste of dehydrated potatoes, rice, corn and wheat they used a cookie cutter to make them that shape flat and then they put them on a saddle thing that Bauer had invented to give them the shape I didn't know there was a saddle shape that they sat on to to be baked to it yeah that's the saddle the Pringle is the jockey exactly riding that saddle (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, mm-hmm. so lots and lots of work. And Brilliant. he didn't just invent Pringles, he also invented freeze-dried ice cream. That other Amazing. snack were always popular. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was really proud of his freeze-dried ice cream, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, of course, but he didn't get buried in one. <laughs> Isn't <laughs> that like amazing. astronaut ice cream, well, the freeze-dried? No. Basically, it's just add milk, yeah. and then you have ice cream. Well, oh, you have course. to freeze so it as well. You have to freeze it and add milk. I'm not exactly sure what no, was remaining after No, that's the same as making that. instant coffee. I think that's completely fair enough, because you, yeah. st- you have to pour hot water in it. Yeah. 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 I like that... We, we don't know who the original Pringle was because the original was Pringle's newfangled potato yes. chips and it was oh, right. Pringle apostrophe oh, S. Yes, there's a few Mr. theories. Pringle, you know. There's a few theories, yeah. but they're all really boring. Yeah, yeah. So I, did, I did think, oh, maybe this will be juicy. And it's like, oh, there's a guy called Mark Pringle <laughs> yeah, who's yeah. named as one of the people on the patent and two people lived on Pringle Road. But they were going to call them Winkles, weren't they? Were they? Oh, yeah. yeah. I think they paid an advertising company to say, what should we call this thing and the advertising company came back and said let's call them winkles wow and they thought no that sounds a bit like That's a willy a bad seller. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah can i just quickly say frederick Bauer was cremated and then his ashes oh, yeah. were put in yes. there he wasn't buried <laughs> yeah oh, buried every, everyone a, listening yeah. knew that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i did i know <laughs> as in um but the, i really like that it was only most of him mm. got into the tube yeah i think there was a lot of him yes. after the yeah. cremation so the over flow went in an urn classic yes, yeah. and then mo- but most of it went in the tube but his son larry was interviewed in time magazine all about it after he yeah. died when did he die about 2008, 2008 i think exactly yeah. yeah and um he was interviewed by time magazine because that's you know it's important stuff and um he said larry bauer said my siblings and i briefly debated what flavor to use but i said look we need to use the original yeah. Which I think is fair. Yeah. Not the original original, which tasted like shit. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I've written a list of all some of the Pringle flavors. Oh, nice. oh, right. here. The, and these are a lot of them are special, so they weren't out in every country all the time. Right. But here's some. Shout if you like it. Ketchup, 
Zesty lime and chilli, chilli cheese dog, pizza delicious, buffalo wing, low fat, jalapeno, honey mustard, cheesy oh, fries. low fat, was that a flavour? <laughs> yes, low, low fat. fat. Oh. Onion blossom, screaming dill pickle, oh. pumpkin pie spice, soft shelled crab, shrimp, which was pink, seaweed, which was green, blueberry, <laughs> hazelnut, lemon, sesame, mushroom soup, eggs benedict, oh. and hot diggity dog. Hot, oh, <laughs> diggity, thank that's you. my one, yeah. I'll have hot diggity I'm dog, thank yeah. you. Imagine if someone comes to you at the Pringles restaurant and has to go through all those. <laughs> yeah. Every single person's going to order hot diggity dog, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, exactly. Well, oh. one of the smaller Pringle dramas, and I was so oh. impressed by this, Yeah. they've had two flavours recalled because of salmonella. <laughs> no. <laughs> which is amazing with something with such a low food content. That was the wow. raw chicken flavour, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cheeseburger and taco night were both uh, taken off the shelves. Very nice. Salmonella. Well, did you know that of all these flavours, quite a few of them are vegan options. Oh, they were vegan. Yeah, so has that changed now? One of the dramas. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you're counting at home. I've got it as drama number four. Pringles (laughs) added milk. (laughs) Ah. Apparently, from the articles online, vegans were in uproar. But I know quite a few vegans. (laughs) Right. I think they just choose other snacks now. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're, ve- you're vegan, aren't you? Yeah. How many Pringles can you have? Can well, you have the I original? Can't, I can't have any. You can't have any. Look, they added oh, milk to it. Every they used to be one. plant-based. And right. something to do with the adhesion of the flavour. It's, it's mm. in that textured, mm. hydrolyzed vegetable protein. Oh. <laughs> I've got a, I've got another controversy. Pringles. Oh. What was okay. it? What was it? Pringles. Dra- I'm saying dramas. Pringles dramas. Yeah. Because right. I don't want them to sue me. Because okay. I've had too many court cases. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait. Let's try and. Pre- I, I say Sarah does have this. Yeah. On definitely. Her. Yeah. This is um. It's a rumor that went around. Oh. And it's about Bauer himself. Ooh. It sort of relates oh. to the fact oh, okay. actually. Oh, okay. Was the Pringles creator cremated and sold to customers? <laughs> ah, and is he vegan? Well, I wonder it's not vegan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every single can. Yeah. Humans and yeah, yeah, no is the answer. The I answer imagine. is no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Snopes did a a pretty quick debunk of that one. <laughs> right. Um, but that did the rounds on the internet a while after he died. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be, because you know how they always say that in every glass of water, like two of the molecules had been weed out by Julius Caesar yeah. or something. Yes. Mm. I wonder yeah. how many, if you put one of his molecules in each crisp, that still wouldn't be that many, right? Mm. No, I would eat it if I knew that there was one molecule, which is such a small amount yeah. of the founder, and it's kind of a tribute in a way. Right. Would you? I would you pay more for it. Oh no, I wouldn't pay more for it. I'm no. too, I'm too skin flinty to pay <laughs> bonus for the Frederick edition. I so would pay more for it. That's exactly the kind of thing I'd buy. It's like how I, I tried to buy a frisbee that had the ashes of the frisbee creator oh, yeah. inside. Yeah, they did a range. Yeah, the yeah. family did a range of frisbee infused with the ashes. And that was um, the guy who invented the frisbee. Yeah. Was it just as a tribute? They yeah, just put like, in a load of different limited edition prisons. Yeah, yeah, and there was limited edition. I don't know, it's just as a fun thing. That's fun, isn't it's it? It's making me think, if I want to be buried in an interesting way, I'm going to have to invent something. Yeah. Otherwise, people are never going to want to eat me. One or... of your DVDs, maybe. Yeah, something yeah. associated. Like... Oh, yeah, if I do a Netflix special, and then they have to show my autopsy. Something <laughs> 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 like that. Yeah, yeah. Would that's you pay extra for that? Yeah, for on Amazon Prime, I'll, I'll buy that. Um, so Pringle guy, oh yeah, Pringle man, oh, Fred has, Mr. Pringle, Mr. Pringle oh, has a fun. has a first name. Yes, well, yep, this here we is go. Drama number five. <laughs> oh. this, is, this is the final drama, and it's maybe the best drama. Actually. Yeah. Do you think? It's, I think okay. it's the juiciest drama. Oh, well, you, you take the, the lead bo- here. I want to go through the boring dramas. Yes, and then let's come on to this. one Okay, well, let's hold back. I don't want us to yeah to. Okay, shall I do a drama which I'm not? sure you'll have okay great Sarah. Yeah. this is um simon lee 28 
who was stopped by security in Asda after they mistook a bulge in his pants for a can of Pringles. <laughs> wow. This was reported oh, in the Metro. I'd still go to see a doctor. Okay, so that, that's on my results. list of Simon Lee dramas. <laughs> <laughs> Not Pringles. Oh my God. What was it? <laughs> So, <laughs> what was it? it was just a fold in his pants. Oh, so Simon Lee 28 said, looking back, I could see the funny side. It was just a cock up. No pun intended. And the spokesperson from Asda said, no colleagues at this store are aware of this incident. <laughs> <laughs> what? So it wasn't an, an official member of staff. No, it it feels like he might have made it up and the Metro reported oh, it. But I don't want to get sued by Simon Lee 28. So let's call it a drama. Yeah, that's I think that's drama. definitely a drama. Yeah. So here's, here's the, the legal dramas. Yeah. Drama number one, um, the US FDA in 1975 ruled that Pringles were not potato chips because they're mm. not from sliced potato, which is what people expect from potato chips. So they couldn't call themselves the newfangled potato chips. They could say they were potato chips made from dried potatoes. Mm. They thought that was too long and then they changed their name to crisps. Yes. I found that really interesting. And in fact, I think we might put it on this season of QI of mm. like, what do Americans call this and put some... Ah, Pringles on, yeah. try and get the forfeit of chips. chips yeah. Also, you know, you can't call them crisps. Oh, really? Because yeah. well, this is the next court case. Yeah. In this country, though. In this country. Yeah. And also, then it got overruled, so I actually don't know what you can call that. <laughs> it would be clangers going off all the time because um, the next court case in 2008, um, Procter & Gamble lawyers successfully argued that they're not even crisps, even though it said crisps on the packet. <laughs> they won it. The potato content is only 42%, they argued. God. And they said their shape is not found in nature. <laughs> I, which I love. It's so ballsy. I don't want to get their feet out and say, what are you calling <laughs> God, those are good lawyers. So they were doing yeah. this to avoid paying VAT yes. on crisps. Yeah. But then I think it went to appeal. I think it went it to did. the highest court in the land, which was court then the appeal, appeal court. Yes. Yeah, and I think the judges there ruled that, no, that's ridiculous. They're clearly yes. crisps. You have to pay your tax. Mm. Yeah. And I think and it cost them about 100 million quid. And they'd already paid what? it because they knew they were going to lose. Right. Uh, so they did that yeah. thing of like, hey, we've been paying it proactively all of this time. Because yeah. I think it's... I mean, tax dodging isn't a nice thing for a company to be very publicly doing. Yeah. So, and we're um, not suggesting that Pringles did that. No, they didn't. That's what I'm saying. Oh, yes. Sorry. Yeah. If they did want to send us some of their disgusting salmonella <laughs> products, <laughs> vegans can't even eat. Ash-infused, um, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was exciting. At the time, the appeal court, Lord Justice Jacob, I just like this thing he said. He said, there is more than enough potato content for it to be a reasonable view that it is made from potato. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. good old-fashioned What's legal What's the 58% then? It's flowers. So oh, sort yeah. of wheat, corn. Got it. So no, it's a number of delicious other... Um, palatable ingredients that are legal <laughs> yeah, agreed yeah um so i think the funnest drama so some people because it what they weren't five now this is well, it's actually number two oh, <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so um so, so people trace their popularity back to an advert in the oh. 80s because in the, in the originally 60s 70s they were a flop people didn't really eat them yeah. but then brad pitt was an ad for them was he yes brad pitt did an ad you can go and watch it on youtube which i really recommend it's, because it's really fun. It's it's fun, but it's also it's just a young Brad Pitt. Is it sexy? Yeah. He's so sexy. Oh, okay. It's about theft, so I'm going to disagree with Andy. Does he put some Pringles down his pants? <laughs> Sneak straight out of Asda. <laughs> what period Pitt are we talking about? I mean, yeah. proto Pitt, as proto -Pitt. in pre Thelma and Louise. Actor. Yeah. That's his first break. Although apparently he was 27 in the ad. Yeah. So it took him a while to get his big break. His it's big really break is Thelma and Louise. It's not meant to well, actually, later. I'd argue it's Pringles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think without the Pringles ad, he probably wouldn't have got Thelma and Louise. Yeah. 
You well, know. well, most actors at the beginning will survive off those kind of jobs. Oh, Pringles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's that's what the thing in the advert is. You've got these boys in a car and all of them are wearing their sort of swimmers and they're driving, but, oh my God, they've all got a tube of Pringles that's empty. Like, they've run out of Pringles. <laughs> oh, no. But then yeah. they use the Pringles cans as <laughs> like binoculars and yeah. they see three hot chicks in their swimmers also driving in a car, but they've got like a whole sack of Pringles with them. Oh, wow. That's so great. they all get out by the side of the road and they dance while eating Pringles. It's kind of Pringles all. Yeah, it's pretty, but you then know, the girls turn cool. around and the guys have stolen not only all of the remaining Pringles, but their car. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> they just drove off in their car. Okay. Like, Once yeah. you twerk, you can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> so let's come back to the final drama. Here we go. The name oh, okay. of uh, Mr. P. Mr. P. Mr. P. So it suddenly got revealed that he does have a first name, mm. and that his name is Julius. Julius Pringle. And people loved this, including Pringles. So Pringles tweeted it. It was on um, one of the American talk shows. People were really excited, like, oh my God, guess what that guy's name is? It's Julius Pringle. And then... Well, it's a sort of early day Wikipedia hoax, basically. Yeah. Someone went into the Pringles page on Wikipedia, edited it in. Someone yeah. saw that. That got passed around. So, so two, nothing two students to do. in Chicago, they were watching American football. One of the players was called Julius. One of them asked the other, what do you think the Pringles guy is called? And he said, Julius Pringle. They thought it was so funny. One of them went into Wikipedia and changed it. The other one was a moderator, went in and backed it up. And so all of this can be wow. proven as well because they've still got the same sort of app name. So um, Justin Shillock, Platypus222... There's records of him changing it on Wikipedia and on Twitter. There was a previous Facebook group where he was called Boris Pringle. They went in and changed it to Julius Pringle so that it was backed up everywhere. Wow. And when Pringles was sold, Kellogg's just went back to the Wikipedia. They said Procter and Gamble would never have fallen for it. They oh. knew that they hadn't called him Julius Pringle, but they just mm. yeah. But they acknowledged it. Hoax. Yeah, they yeah. said it's. They said fine, it'll be Julius. There's uh, there is a theory who Mr. Pringle is. Mm. What it is is there was some there was one other person who was involved in the initial concept of Pringles mm. in the making of it, and it was a science fiction writer, a guy called Gene Wolfe, oh, yeah, yeah. who writes pretty incredible sci-fi novels. Um, I, I actually haven't heard any of the titles before but they seem to be really well regarded and he was uh, responsible for developing the machine that cooks mm. I don't know if he invented the saddle I think that yeah. must have been Bauer but he did the machine and if you look at a photo of Gene Wolfe some people have noticed that he's got the parted hair he's got the big mustache mm. no body he's, he's got zero body <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and he looks very pringly so right? yeah. yeah so How interesting. but that's that's a tiny theory there's uh, I'll, I'll admit it it's yes. one person's theory I yeah. haven't seen it well every it's theory starts with one exactly yeah. you know relativity yeah. Started with, you know, not sure about that. Is that what is that true? Yeah, is that what standing on the shoulders of giants means? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did you know that um, Julius Pringle, because we might as well call him that now, yeah. um, he once shaved off his moustache for November. Did he? <laughs> what did he look he like? Sh shaved it for like November. A, yeah, yes, the opposite, but to yeah. raise money for November. Such okay. a, so he just had a white round face on the uh, Pringles. Because is he a, a potato? Oh. He shouldn't oh. legally be, but is he? Maybe he's 42% potato. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His dad was a potato. <laughs> His oh, mum no. was some corn powder. Yeah. Do you want to hear... A, this, isn't, this isn't a drama. It doesn't even merit the name okay. drama. But I just... I read a bit of a spicy takedown of Pringles. Mm. Oh, yeah. And this was on the website SeriousEats.com, so you know it's, it's yeah. pucker. Yeah. Um, the author wrote, I've creepily watched a lot of folks eat Pringles and can say with absolutely no authority that most people pop them in their mouths oriented as an upside-down saddle, right? Uh -huh. So you're putting that... Now, this mostly makes sense because it's the way they come out of the tube and you get all the flavour on your mm. tongue. But the more enjoyable way is to eat them flipped over so that you're working with a crispy saddle for your tongue. I'm confused about which... When you eat a Pringle, are you, yeah. popping, are you popping it on your tongue like a saddle? 
I see, yeah. Or are you popping it the other way out? I do it the other way because of a retainer I had as a kid and it feels like it <laughs> slots into the top of your mouth quite yeah. nicely. You do have okay. taste buds at the top of your mouth as well. Oh, that's powerful. Not that tongue, many. Though, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. You don't taste any of the hot diggity dogs. <laughs> it, was, it was you guys who said there were taste buds on testicles. Or something. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> how I eat them. <laughs> they're, just, they're a nice little saddle for the testicles. Yeah. <laughs> next time that guy was in Asda. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you're going to shoplift, put yeah. them in oh. individually. <laughs> Delicious shoplifting. <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that the world's first IVF clinic was opened in a town called Bourne. <laughs> I love it. Brilliant. I love Have it. We never heard that. It's I nuts. couldn't believe it. Yeah. I couldn't believe I'd never heard it. So this was, we're talking 1978, the first IVF baby, Louise Brown yep. uh, in Oldham. And just after it had happened, the NHS kind of refused to support the service. So it's really controversial, mm-hmm. you know, we might get to it later, but a lot of people did not like the idea at all. And it, the, can I quickly ask, yeah. is, it more, is it more or less controversial than <laughs> Mr. Pringle's first name? <laughs> in drama terms. I'm not sure how many dramas we're going to get to in IVF. Uh, but yeah, so the NHS wouldn't support them and they didn't know what to do. They had to find a building um, where they could start up their own clinic. Uh, and they found this old Jacobean manor called Bourne Hall, uh, which I think is in Cambridgeshire. And they started the IVS centre there. And, you know, many thousands of babies were born there. Uh, and it's just a fun name. Yeah. So where did you say Bourne is? I think it's in Cambridgeshire. It is. Okay. It's in Cambridgeshire, yeah. yeah. But there's another nice coincidence, which is that the first IVF baby born was Louise brown and brown is with one letter different uh, an anagram for born oh, yeah. except of course that she was born in oldham which is somewhere else and what's uh-huh. the opposite of old in oldham young, young. what are babies oh young. my god come on it's all coming together Andy. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> see sometimes you gotta sit back and just watch the magic <laughs> it's beautiful um uh, yeah. yeah she's yeah she's a pretty amazing character louise brown because oh, yeah. she's become the spokesperson really for Mm. what a success it is and she goes all over um the world basically doing conferences so does her sister because her sister who is also an ivf baby was the 40th born baby and then the first ever person to have a baby off the back of being an ivf baby as well so her sister had children first did she yeah okay Uh, but louise brown did as well yeah yeah Yeah. because i think it's it's hard enough being sort of a middle child let alone (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, your your elder siblings like oh my god a medical miracle oh and you one thing about um, Bourne is it called Bourne House or Bourne Hall, Hall sorry yeah, Hall. yeah. Um, they were there the pioneers of IVF partly thanks to the Daily Mail well, this they? is a very interesting thing. So, yeah, they. You're always talking about how much you love the Daily Mail. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I need to give it a rest. I need to cram it in again. Every episode, we edit out an extended rant about how great the yeah. Daily Mail is. But um, <laughs> the, the pioneers, they, um, specifically uh, two doctors called Steptoe and Edwards, and they, the editor of the Daily Mail, got in touch and promised help mm. and helped them to look for premises. Mm. Uh, and the Mail originally purchased Bourne Hall, the yeah. Jacobean house. Uh, and they appointed architects and surveyors because it needed lots of work to turn it from a crumbling manor house into a, an IVF clinic. But then in 1979, they pulled out because apparently the venture was too risky. Oh, so right. it's not an unblemished <clears throat> success story for the Daily Mail, unlike most of them. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then Steptoe and raised money and, and bought yeah. it themselves. And Jean yeah. Purdy as well. Uh, yeah, we got, we got to bring her into the story because she's uh, she has been left off. Not I'm not saying Andy, mm. you're leaving her out, but um, you did. And <laughs> I, I think 
it's time to bring Jean Purdy back into the story permanently. She was a pretty amazing character, and by all accounts, this wouldn't have happened without her, to the point where many people see her as the nurse who was working on it. Therefore, if a plaque was ever put up mm. about them, it would have the two names of the doctors, and then she would be linked into, and all the supporting staff. And uh, famously, Edwards, the doctor who was still alive, absolutely was refusing to have anything to do with it unless they put Purdy's name on it saying that I feel strongly about the inclusion of the names of the people who helped with the conception of Louise Brown I feel especially about Jean Purdy who traveled to Oldham with me for 10 years and contributed as much as I did to the project indeed I regard her as an equal contributor to Patrick Steptoe and myself and there was a point when Jean Purdy's mum got ill and they just stopped everything because they couldn't do it without her for months wow. so she was so integral to this to this thing yeah Andy but because she, was, so she, because she <laughs> yeah. wasn't a doctor, that's yeah. why people overlook the fact that she was involved in the whole yeah. process. Yeah. She found yeah. the hall. She's the one who located yeah. the hall yeah. in the yeah. first place. Wasn't and then she died before they gave the Nobel Prize, so she wasn't allowed to get a Nobel Prize because you can't if you're dead. And Steptoe yeah. as well, right? Yeah. So it was just Edwards who ended up collecting yeah. it. Yeah. And it was controversial, wasn't it? It was sort of like everyone, particularly within the uh, the religious faction, mm. sort of thought, are you going to give birth to a soulless baby? Well, I did IVF, and they still now, because they, there's two different kinds of IVF. You have IVF where you have ICSI, which is where you, your partner for some reason has low sperm count or substandard sperm. I, there's probably a better term for it than substandard. If your partner's got really weird sperms, <laughs> um, then what they do is they pair them up rather than letting the sperm swim and oh, choose. Really? And when they do that, they say, obviously, some people have real problems with that because... It doesn't allow like the accident of nature for them to yeah. choosing. So even within IVF, there are God. still frontiers where people go, oh, "Well, that's so clinical." Or, wow! Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're they're interesting. On, they're on, I mean, they're, I can't believe they're they're real. These things, but they're what are they? They're micro syringes. I'm going to get the wrong micro needles, which they use to inject a single sperm into the centre of an egg. Yeah, it's not just introducing them anymore. Is it? That well, was, they do. That was they do both. Method. I think yeah. they do both. How do they make a needle that's small enough to inject an individual sperm probably with microscopes probably actually no Sarah I think it's an old craftsman called Luigi who's got a very steady hand I think that's it <laughs> um, yeah so when she was when she was born she was she was called the test tube baby mm. and, and she yeah, was made in a test tube it's a she? petri dish yeah, yeah. Um, so test tube is the term that's the media throughout mm. there which we've all kind of kept going but yeah it's petri dishes and um, she was saying that there was all that stuff so is she going to have no soul mm. are they making Franken babies yeah. all that sort of stuff um, but there was a lot of love as well and a lot of people were writing anonymous letters in just sending them support when she returned to her hometown after coming out of hospital the streets were blocked and lined with people mm. from her town and a hundred reporters on the streets and they oh, all stood wow. out there like it was like the queen coming you know yeah. uh, you know it was a huge um, showing and one of the people who was standing in the crowd was a young boy called Wesley Mullinder who would go on to become a bouncer and then one day Louise Brown's husband so oh, really? wow. yeah. I thought you were going to say you wouldn't let her ring soon exactly <laughs> <laughs> sorry you need a soul if you're coming <laughs> in here I'm sorry it'd be so great to be like uh, Louise Brown six and a half I believe if I remember exactly when we had that parade <laughs> wow. but yeah he was seven years old at the time watching wow. his future wife be brought home that was strange crazy um, well the, the birth was completely mad there were police officers lining the corridor in hospital where yeah. Louise Brown's mum huh. gave birth because it was so controversial mm. and, and the birth had to be filmed to show there was actual documentary evidence that but this baby belongs to this mother and is, is yeah. real she had to, the baby is louise herself when she was a newborn 
you know, they normally have, what do they do, about five tests yes. when you newborn baby, just yeah. to make yeah. sure you know. Oh, the ears, the eyes. Yeah. All that. yeah, the colour of the skin. Yeah, Louise Brown had to have 60 tests before her mum could hold her. Wow. You know, it was God. really just testing absolutely every aspect to make sure this is a completely healthy baby. But for the first baby. time, you would be a bit like, yeah. Oh my yeah. god, this can't just be we can't just flipping made a human, have we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. would part of you would be like double check that everything's yeah. there. And it is it is an incredible thing. People who don't go through IVF, I know they think about it as like very medicalized, but when you have your embryo transfer, you watch it on an ultrasound. So you see um the, the little globule of water that contains the uh embryo sort of being inserted inside you and your partner can be there and they give you oh my an ultrasound picture. Wow. So like with our son Theodore, we've known him since he was five days old. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So actually I feel really romantic about it yeah. as well. As yeah. well as like that, oh my God, it's so incredible they can help you. Also, it's really smooth running now. Yeah. yeah. And when you, sorry, when you have the pro, the, that pro, like that process you described, is the old Italian craftsman... <laughs> Is he in the room well, or he is has he what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, like, yeah. Where's that needle? <laughs> <laughs> Only he has the dexterous fingers that can pick yeah. the needle out. Like, it will yeah. be sad when he dies. <laughs> <laughs> and he wants to be buried in a tiny needle. <laughs> Steptoe was in a shipwreck. Was he? Was he? Yeah, really? Yeah, but and a proper full-on shipwreck. So he was born in 1913, and he was a naval surgeon mm. right. during oh, the Second yeah. World War. Uh oh, he was the right age for that. And his, his ship was off Crete, and the Germans captured it. Uh, well, they sunk it, captured it, and he became a prisoner of war. Right. Wow. Yeah. And then he helped he helped other prisoners escape while he was in a German prisoner of war camp in Crete. Cool. Oh, wow. And then uh, he was put in solitary confinement for that. Oh, okay. What a life. Sounds what a great. life. Yeah. Um, some more things on conception in general. Yeah. Um, so Elizabeth Christine was a wife of Holy Roman Emperor Charles VI, uh, and they wanted a male heir. And they decided to do that. They prescribed her a gluttonous diet, large amounts of alcohol, and to spend all day looking at erotic paintings of men. Oh, she was like, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Have you been going to work? (laughs) Wow. People say a thing now, which I don't think is based on that much evidence, but about um, uh, the gender of the sperm making a difference at how Mm. fast they swim. Mm. So, like, early in your ovulation, if you want a boy and late in the ovulation if you want a girl oh right yeah well because female sperm are slower swimmers uh, or they lo- they live longer or something there's something to do with the weight mm. i don't i don't think it's based on that much mm. evidence right. it's like one of those old wives tales when people people like you so it's going to get down here which is yeah. people like you just to be clear and also the old thing about wearing boxes or briefs mm. oh yeah that thing um there was a recent study and they found there was no appreciable difference in scrotal temperature uh, in men who wear briefs and boxers, although the NHS kind of says, even though it doesn't seem to affect sperm quantity, you may want to wear loose-fitting underwear. So the NHS kind of, you know, mm. hedge their yeah. bets a little bit. But according to the studies, it doesn't make any difference. But they do say they say the thing about hot baths and showers. Yeah. Is a, well, that, is that a thing would that... like a hot bath would change the temperature. It change your core body temperature. Yeah. Right. I guess the thing is that testicles are really clever at removing themselves from the body when they need to cool down a little bit mm. and the idea, I think they thought with pants ah. it would mean they couldn't do that because mm. they'd be stuck there but with a bath being so much hotter yeah. I mean they can't jump out well, you need to, what, you, what you need is <laughs> what you need is one of those bath um, rest you know the things that yes, go across yes. the bath for reading a book on yeah, or yes. for a tray of food there'll be someone in the bath yeah. right now listening yeah. to this podcast <laughs> just tie across a little net and, and put the nuts in that just yeah like, that yeah. helps yeah I don't know I because these guys know this but mm. I uh, when we were trying for our third child um, my wife went to a 
acupuncturist mm. because she thought we weren't we weren't conceiving yeah. and she said does your husband take hot baths yeah and she said yeah because i love mm-hmm. hot baths she said well that's the problem it's his fault it's all his <gasps> fault and then she booked me a sperm test the acupuncturist yes. just oh. booked it for me oh, and Fenella was like well you got to go so yeah. i went and i did the thing and i was furious that i was yeah. going to do this thing off the back of the acupuncturist yeah. then i wrote to them and said where are my results and they said well we sent it to the acupuncturist <gasps> so she then had my results <laughs> And she's been telling like a GDPR issue. I know. She, yeah. opened your, she didn't open them. She did. She did. <gasps> and is, she's. This been... is why alternative medicine doesn't have a country crisis. And she's been giving Fenella crap for for weeks, like saying your husband is your husband's fault. This is all your husband's fault. And Fenella was getting angry yeah. at me. You and your bloody bastard yeah. have been trying for ages. So she opens it up. Fenella calls her yeah. up and says, "Can we get the results?" Yeah. And she says. I've been doing this for 20 years. In all my time, I've never seen such strong sperm results <laughs> in my life. He is a super sperm this holder. This is so inappropriate, though. <laughs> Even though that's a compliment. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Well, you know, having yeah. a high sperm count is can be bad for conceiving as well. Yeah. And that's because you're more likely to get two sperms mm. that go in the egg oh, at the same yeah. time. And obviously, I think that can wow twins, but it can also cause right. problems. Yeah. Right. Too many people at a cocktail party, no one enjoys it. <laughs> yeah. Just talking over each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right you need just the right number. But it's never <laughs> happened at any of my parties, I'll tell you that much. I'm lucky to get four. <laughs> okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is Andy. My fact is that there is only one guy in Dijon who makes mustard. (laughs) And he's busy. Any girls who do it? I don't know. Uh, And did you find this out from the Daily Mail? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I got all my facts on the Daily Mail. Um, No, actually, I found this out from Atlas Obscura, and it's about a man whose name is Nicolas Chavi. And since 2009, he's been the only moutardier in, uh, in Dijon. <laughs> Love uh, that word. Yeah. Uh, and he wasn't even born to it. You know, he's made himself a mustard maker. Huh. He, um, he Is anyone at... born into mustard? <laughs> <laughs> there must have been some mustard dynasties. And, you know, the, Col- the Coleman family, oh, I yeah. maybe. I don't know. But he yeah. used to work in IT. Right. And then um, he has a tiny boutique. It's not it's not a lot of Dijon mustard that gets made in Dijon. Mm. But um, it, are you allowed to call it Dijon if it's not made in Dijon? You are allowed to call it's it Dijon if it's not made in Dijon. Horseradish. Sp- <laughs> <laughs> um, in fact, there are no rules about whether you can call something Dijon. Is that right? Yeah, it's it compl- huh. it's a wild west for wow. Dijon mustard. Wow. You can say anything is. We well, can't say anything is Dijon mustard. <laughs> you can call any mustard Dijon. So it's a recipe rather than some local yeah, produce. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. So there's Grey Poupon, which you might have heard of. <laughs> what? What? That's a that's a famous Dijon mustard, and that's that's based in the USA. Happened yeah. since the 1940s. What did you it's call it? Grey Poupon. Grey Poupon. <laughs> <laughs> to rhyme with coupon. Um, have you not heard of Grey Poupon? I'm afraid I, I have, haven't. Yeah. No. It's no. Incre- it's one of the most famous mustards in the world, but oh, only because sorry. from about well no there's no there's an, it's basically because it's in so many rap songs. There's a real thing where uh, lots of rappers. Like from about the early noughties, they okay. started mentioning. I'm going to go all Pringle buildings here. I want ten rappers. <laughs> <laughs> Lil Poupon, <laughs> Biggie Grapes, yeah. <laughs> the Wu Tang Clan, Kanye West, Ghostface Killer, Buster Rhymes, Kendrick Lamar. I could go <gasps> on. They they wow. Yeah, okay. Okay. There's a, there's oh wow. A, there's a brilliant Vox piece where it was noted by a writer called Estelle Caswell, and I think she writes for Vox or she right. was writing Vox at the time, and she basically made a supercut of Grey Poupon references in rap wow. songs. Wow. It seems to be the thing that you mentioned if you want to say. I, I think. I mean, it's it's just a mustard. It's it's just a slightly more expensive well, no, than normal just, mustard. Yeah. Who knows though? Do you know not rap? But have you heard of DJ mustard? 
No. <laughs> DJ Mustard, big big DJ, what, DJ? record producer. Really? Yeah, yeah. He's worked with a lot of famous people. Is why, it a joke about Dijon? Well, why do you think he's called DJ Mustard? Because Dijon contains DJ. Oh, no. Oh. He's as keen as mustard. <laughs> That's well, a great is work it about ethic. Cutting the mustard, isn't there? There's lots yeah. of. There's, there's lots mu- of stuff, yeah, yeah going on. Getting the mustard. Does, mustard must have other slang. Yeah, well, it's not that. Um, <laughs> it is that his name is Dijon. His first name. Oh. oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an unusual name. That's an unusual name. And but that's what it's called. Mustard. Dijon Mustard. Wow. Yeah. Are they mispronouncing Dion? I don't know how he's pronouncing it, but possibly. Um, Can we talk about mustard? Yeah. Mm. The Romans were the first to eat it, but the Greeks had it, mm-hmm. uh, and they would use it medically. They would rub it on the chest for bronchitis. Uh, if your baby had sore teeth, they might rub it on the teeth. Mm. Uh, and Pythagoras took it against scorpion stings. Mm. So. Yeah, my friend, I was talking to my friend Ed about mustard the other day, and he said that um, his dad used to put it on his horse's legs. <laughs> So much what, as, a, as a condiment or no he said um racehorse when they've got leg muscle inflammation um and this was during the 70s and 80s i guess yeah. is when he was doing mm. it yeah you'd mix it with uh, linseed with comfrey with water you'd make a paste then you would put it on and you'd bandage up and, and the poor horse is like are you basting me <laughs> pope john the 12th appointed his nephew as the grand mustardier to the pope oh what a name uh he was the pope's mustard maker and um, the Pope's mustard maker became a word for someone who was quite pompous and they had a pointless role in society. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah. I would suppose like someone um, who would give your car a ticket, like a traffic warden, you would call them a Pope's mustard maker. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, right. I, stick right. Out the I think they've got an important role in society. Oh, no, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I do yeah. agree. But I'm thinking that you might say it because yeah. you're, you're oh, upset you're with cross. them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's the third missing mustard phrase. We've got cutting yes. the mustard, keen as mustard, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. you're the Pope's mustard maker. Yeah. yeah. And it's a tragedy that that one's dropped out of circulation. Cause I think, that's I a think really it's because it sounds too much like a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. And you said it's a nephew who made his. It was his maker. nephew, so it's nepotism, basically. Mm-hmm. Wasn't the Pope's nephew thing? It was always. It was often their illegitimate sons. Who they That's a good point. Oh. They would call them nephews. Yes, yeah. I don't know if this is that in this case. Because they're not supposed to use their mustard maker. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh my god <laughs> that's now the fourth phrase yeah. <laughs> the guy in asda thought it was my mustard maker but it was actually a kind of pringles oh that's horrible um france had a huge uh, mustard crisis last year okay yeah they ran out of mustard they ran out almost completely of mustard oh, that's really? not French people eat a kilo of mustard each, I read, in one, somewhere. Okay, right. Per year. Yeah, per year. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Which is, uh, that's a lot, though. Mm, that's a, a good lot. few jars per person per year. You've got to be um, shifting it to get through that. But basically, 80% of the seeds used in French mustard are uh, from Canada. Yeah. And they had a terrible summer of you know weather failures mm-hmm. and things like that. Crops all suffered. And um, France uses 35,000 tonnes of mustard seeds every right. year to make its mustard. It's a mad amount. And the other thing was that a lot of the yellow mustard seeds come from Ukraine and Russia. Oh. Uh, and so that meant there was a shortage in yellow mustard for people like the Germans and the British. And so the Germans and the British started eating Dijon, and that meant oh. that the French didn't have any Dijon. Exactly. Okay, I knew they were going to blame it on us somehow. <laughs> <laughs> In the 14th century, the Duke of Burgundy held a gala where the guests ate 85 gallons of 
mustard in a single sitting. Oh. <laughs> with what? Did they say with what? It really doesn't say. It this must was... have been like a fondue where they just put <laughs> little breads in there oh, and stuff. God. <laughs> but how much of that was left on the side of the plates after they yeah. finished their actual meals? It was a single sentence in the book Gastro Obscura, which is made by the oh, same cool. people who do uh, ah, Atlas yeah. Obscura. Didn't say any more, and I couldn't find anything about it. But that's a lot. It it's didn't say, lot. even say how many guests there were. So, right. well, yeah, it's, it's one of Andy's parties. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot per guest. Per person. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that the poet W. B. Yeats once had a vasectomy to cure his writer's block. So there wouldn't have been much of a second coming for him. Is that one of his books? It's his most famous poem. And you know, if that stays in, and it's a big if clearly at this stage, there'll be a few people who really like that. Yeah, yeah, I'll keep it in. Actually, you can still orgasm if you've had a vasectomy. Really love the reference to the poem, though. Podcast at QI.com. Do you want to make that point? I was thinking to cure his writer's block, they bored his writer's cock. Mm. Spoonerism. Very mm. not technically in the penis. <laughs> the procedure. Um, I used to really like this podcast. Have <laughs> you run out of facts or something? <laughs> Is it just you in the inbox? <laughs> name, Sarah. It's uncanny. Uh, so I got this fact from yes. someone called Georgia Granger. Um, she's got a PhD in the history of vasectomy. You can find her on Twitter at, at sniphist. Uh, which is so she she does a lot of vasectomy um, facts on there and yeah she she was I asked her what's the most interesting thing that you know about vasectomies and she said about Yates and how he did this and this used to be a thing. Were you googling vasectomies, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> the super spam. I've got to stop it somehow. There is no vasectomy strong enough. <laughs> we don't understand. These tubes appear to have been unknotted from the inside. <laughs> Just shaking your head. <laughs> 20 years. years. <laughs> yeah, so this this used to be a thing that it was believed. These were sort of, I guess, partial vasectomies. And the idea was is that um, the, it was rejuvenation. And it was written about in the 1920s. Mm. And the idea was by sort of taking the tubes and tying them up would do something to the production of the male hormone mm. and that would be increased and that would go back into the body and sort of revitalize it it's kind of like doctor who getting another yeah. regeneration it was kind of like a whole new life basically mm. and he was quite old yates when he had this he was 68 slash 69 years old when he had it wow. and he called it his second puberty because it kind of really did work for him particularly on the creative side his wife said his writing was just extraordinary from that point on it wow. just it, whether or not that's a placebo or whatever yeah, but psychosomatic yeah but it did the job having an operation when your body recovers from pain you quite often do feel rejuvenated mm. um yeah so it could just be having a sort of minor procedure even that in itself yeah wow so for all writers block just have like... no i'm not going to recommend it but because <laughs> i think that whole thing like men losing their life force through ejaculation kind of goes around and around does it really yeah. yeah so similar kind of time when they were sewing monkeys testicles onto people yes this is them, the same time yes yeah. to give them extra again the same theory extra sort of male life force well, the, the guy behind this procedure uh austrian doctor eugen steinach that's yeah. the procedure it's called being steinach mm. um he made extraordinary claims for his um 
for his procedure. Obviously, mm. as so many of these doctors did. So just to quote from one piece about this, he claimed his patients changed from feeble, parched, dribbling drones to men of vigorous bloom who threw away their glasses, shaved twice a day, dragged loads up to 220 pounds, and even indulged in such youthful follies as buying land in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> that's the most virile yeah. thing you can do. And that's what young people do, buy land in Florida, because yes. that's not what I've heard. How interesting. Yeah. But, but the other side of this, so Sigmund Freud, again, a similar kind of time, was doing the same to women with clitorectomies. Yes. That same thing of... Uh, it was moving them, wasn't it? It was, it was uh, moving them yeah. in terms of orgasms, but also yeah. lots of people had them removed from that same um, sort of argument. Wow. Well, Freud yeah. is one of the people mm. who, when Yates was looking into it, yeah. uh, was amongst the list of notables who had had the vasectomy yeah. done in order yeah. to help him. And he he did it for um, he had a jaw cancer, which yeah. he they thought that that yeah. would help with that as well as mm. other things of the yeah. yeah. I mean, um, he kept smoking, unfortunately. Freud. Did he? Yeah, mm. right. which was probably the reason he had jaw cancer in the first place. I wonder so if they knew. They wouldn't yeah. have known that at the time, right, I guess? Uh, no, I don't think it would have been conclusively proven. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yates did loads of sort of spooky spiritual stuff, didn't he? He's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. And that's why we're talking that's about it. That's why we're yeah. talking about it, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was he was someone who was very closely associated with the world of Aleister Crowley and mm. all that sort of stuff. And he was very much part of a, um, yeah, a movement um, which was, was it Blavatsky? Was he part of the Theosophical oh, Society? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is, well, Theosoph huh? she was this extraordinary character, Madame Blavatsky, who was an occult leader. And she just took under her wing all of these big thinkers of the time. And she had theories about Atlantis and our origin stories and so on. And her sort of disciples were everyone from Crowley through to Rudolf Steiner. You know, mm. the schooling education mm. I had was as a result of Blavatsky, basically, wow. and what Steiner took from that and built on it. Um, and Yeats was someone else who, who very much believed in it. Yeah, yeah, she claimed to have gone to Tibet and had these um, llamas who she'd met and they could send her ideas through astral projection. They can move from one place to another, but they can also send her thoughts into her head so that she could kind of speak to the dead or tell what the wow. future is going to be tell mm. all sorts of stuff like that and there was lots of things like seances where letters yeah. would fly around and all that kind of stuff and yates was involved with yeah the yes. he loved it Mob. but right. even when he turned up she'd already been theoretically discredited at that time oh, so right. one of her acolytes had gone to the papers and given them all the tricks of what she used to do to make things mm. fly around the room <laughs> and it was in it might have even been the daily mail but it was I'm in, you don't know about it then yeah, yeah. I th it was he wouldn't write it down because it involved a woman <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Uh, but yeah, I think at that stage, it's the kind of thing where you double down, even when things have been debunked. If it's what you believe in, you kind of like, well, they would say that they're trying to stop us from right. doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's is. Like, I, like, I don't always approve of the thing of looking at uh, uh, thinkers and writers exclusively through their their romantic lives. Oh, you yeah. know, yeah. As in, that's, it can be a bit reductive. But yeah, it's sex life was extraordinary yeah i mean strange yeah. really weird he proposed to an irish woman uh, she was a politician she was called maud gone and she was later a, a really big irish independence movement uh, leader uh he proposed to her and he'd been in love with her for about 20 years at this point she said absolutely not mm. and then he proposed immediately like three weeks later mm. to her daughter yeah mm second rejection then said fine never mind that and then immediately proposed to someone else yeah. who said yes uh georgie hyde lees and uh and they got married i think kind of within a few weeks of that well part of the reason was um that 
this, I think it was Blavatsky or someone like that had yeah. told him that the best time for him to get married, or in fact, he would get married <laughs> yeah. that year. And so he's like, well, okay, well, let's go through the list. Yeah. That's what they say about marriage, don't they? It's not about the person, it's about, it's about the date. Yeah. Yeah. It's, about, it's about the spiritualist who's yeah. told you it's, it's about, this year. You've yeah, got yeah, a yeah, suit, yeah. you've booked the guest. Yeah. <laughs> but the relationship with Maud Gunn was really interesting. And Maud yeah. Gunn, absolutely, oh my God, Maud what Gunn. a character. Yeah, yeah. Um, she had a second life in Paris, which is why she turned him down all these times. Um, but they did get married in 1898, um, but they got married telepathically. They had a shared vision where they kind of together imagined getting married on the astral plane. Amazing. Yates and gone. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's cheaper, isn't it, on the astral plane? You know, <laughs> the, the rooms are bigger. And, yeah. Uh, you can have more guests. It was a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, wow. they did do that. So they had done it, but not, I mean, not but it, legal. That's not legally binding. No. <laughs> but she, oh my God, Maud gone. I mean, there's one okay. story, and I'm sure you guys have read this, or possibly not. So she was part of, as we now know, the astral plane, part mm-hmm. of this mysticism stuff. Um, she had a son, a little boy, who sadly passed away when he was very young. He was two years old and she decided that she was going to force reincarnation him back into existence and the way of doing that is she went to she had a sort of a place built for his her son a mausoleum Mm. and she went inside with the partner who she'd had george with and they went down and by the coffin of her little son they had sex because the idea was to conceive while being next to the coffin would force the spirit and soul into the new child. This is a lot like early IVF, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so incredibly, mm. she, she did conceive. Mm. Uh, like nine months later, the baby was born. So they assume mm. from yeah. stories that this was the point that this happened. Um, and then, and the daughter's name was Isolt. Um, they had a terrible relationship with each other, I guess because of a slightly fracturous beginning where she sort of was treating her as if she was the reincarnated oh. son and became Grief. quite clear that she wasn't well the other thing is that Isolt was the daughter who um yates proposed, proposed to. to yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. so yates uh, we we haven't said properly who if anyone oh, yeah. doesn't know outside mm. of that poem that andy referenced right at the top <laughs> that, actually, everyone got it from that though. <laughs> yeah 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 um but he was he was an amazing writer he's mm. a poet he got the nobel prize in literature uh in 1923 he was a sort of oxford university honored guy he he was an amazing character who still held up and then there's all this sort irish of, of course Irish, of course, um, and he came from an amazing family, and um, his brother was an Olympian. Uh, he got an Olympic silver medal, the first that Ireland ever got um, for swimming, hmm. which is amazing. That's cool. Um, and it's not swimming the event; it was a painting that he painted called "Swimming," because <laughs> this was back when you could win Olympic medals for paintings. That's so funny. Yeah, and um, so it's. <laughs> It's I'm a f- an Olympic swimmer. You don't look like an Olympic swimmer. <laughs> Why are you drowning? <laughs> so Just clinging onto his painting. <laughs> uh, and they were a very creative family. He had two sisters who were also, they were very artistic. They're sort of getting a second, you know, kind of like uh, Purdy from IVF fame or lack of fame, uh, getting their moment now because they, they were very influential on Ireland, being a new, its own yeah. state. And, mm. yeah. and Yates kind of half was and half wasn't as well, wasn't they? I think he was influenced by Maud Gunn and really wanted to be involved with uh, nationalism when he was with her. But I think also when he wasn't with her anymore, he wasn't that fussed about it. Yeah, uh, and she, I think weird. she drifted in a, a very radical direction. Yeah. And I think by the time that he ended up proposing to her in this realm, she was, was really, you know, very hardline and very radical. And she was also apparently a chloroform addict 
And oh, uh, it was really? all a bit much for him. So when he proposed to Maud, uh, to the mother, he added quite detailed conditions, which basically ensured he would get a no mm, from really? her. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. So, Cuts out the chloroform. But he felt, yeah, yeah, but he felt he had to propose because I think she had been with another partner who, and then they were not together mm. anymore, and he sort, he sort of felt it was incumbent on him to propose. Oh, interesting. Um, just on the marriage that that Yates ended up having with uh, Georgie or George as, as he called her yeah. they were also involved in the spiritual stuff because they their honeymoon was going incredibly badly I mean really badly if he's proposed to two other women in the previous month <laughs> it's not incredibly surprising the honeymoon's going to go quite poorly yeah. side note it was in the 100 acre wood which is cool oh is it yeah. really or the wood that Ashdown Forest it's called which was later yeah. the 100 acre wood how of could AML. you have a bad honeymoon there I know yeah. two yeah. six every Some day stole all their honey on the first morning it was a nightmare <laughs> um and then, but basically, even on honeymoon, he was writing letters to Isolde. So this is oh, not a good really? sign for the mm. pros of the honeymoon. Oh, and I know it was like four it's days. It's almost in. like you shouldn't listen to psychics. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, psychics, acupuncturists. I mean, yes. look, careful where you get your advice from. Basically, um, and then, but then she touched. She turned it round. She said, "Let's try some automatic writing." You know, where mm. the spirits will guide my hand mm. and we'll just see oh, yeah. what comes out. And um, she said a bit later on that she, it had been fake, her yeah. word, and then she, she, re- she repented and recanted using that word. But basically, it turned the corner for the entire marriage and it turned what was a very unpromising marriage, obviously, four mm. days in. Together, they wrote 4,000 pages in the oh. first three years of marriage. Oh. And um, the spirits seemed to be really interested in him getting over Maud and oh, Isabel. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> they suggested uh, diet tips for him. They suggested ways to spice up their sex life. This yeah, is yeah. such a clever tactic. <laughs> the spirits yeah. that they told him, they told them when George was ovulating, so they would have better <gasps> odds of conceiving. I mean, those spirits were unbelievably useful. Yeah, apparently uh, there was a bit that was stressing the husband's duty to give his wife sexual satisfaction. Oh. Oh was my one God. Of the She's a genius. Yeah. Which, She's an absolute genius. <laughs> which someone pointed out that these messengers must have been reading a book that was actually published at the time by Mary Stopes, which called Married Love, oh, which had that exact yeah. thing about yeah. sexual satisfaction so yeah, for the wife. Yeah. Um, so just on writer's block, as oh, this yeah. was what Yates was trying mm. to deal with in the first place, oh, yeah. I found the person who I think may have had the worst writer's block in history, oh. a writer for The New Yorker, very very successful, well-known writer. He was called Joseph Mitchell. And um, for 32 years, he didn't write a single article. He turned up every day to work at the New, oh York, the New Yorker. And he didn't write anything. He was working on a memoir, but he couldn't get past chapter three. Oh, no. I know, he just turned I up every just day. just skip onto chapter four and well, come back to it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. But there's a theory <laughs> that he stopped because of someone being nice about him. Someone um, wrote that he was the greatest living master of the English declarative sentence. Wow. And that just clamped him up. Oh, oh no. God. I know. He just couldn't get He just should have checked his app messages. <laughs> <laughs> read, read your tweets. Read the, read the comments under your articles. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can all be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, James, at James Harkin, Andy, at Andrew Hunter M, and Sarah, at Sarah Pascoe. Yeah, and you can also go to our group account, which is at No Such Thing, or our website, no such thing as a fish.com. All of our previous episodes are up there, but don't bother going to our website this week. There's way more important websites to go to. Sarah on tour.com or Sarah 
Show.uk. You'll find links to all of the upcoming legs of tours in the UK that Sarah is doing. And she's also going to Australia very soon. So if you're living over there, make sure to check it out and go see her show. And um, anything else, Sarah, to, to mention? I don't have an H on Sarah. There's no H on Sarah, at Sarah, S-A-R-A, Pasco, uh, for the Twitter, and then apply that to the relevant <laughs> internet domains. Okay, we'll be back again next week. We'll see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.